Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off Air from the Cheltenham Literature Festival. Not literary. If people say literary, they're wrong. It's Literature Festival. And I was told by one of the organisers today, Fee, that this is the oldest literature festival. You know that other one that people go on I know. Well, I overheard that conversation, but you were very, very firmly put in your place. But it's because you'd mentioned, hey... I should don't don't say it. No, there's absolutely no festival in Hay. No. No. Why would there be? It's in the middle of nowhere. So it's the Cheltenham Literature Festival, and that's where we are today and tomorrow. Uh, We've got a superb guest coming up for you. It is Shirley Banners, who didn't disappoint. No, I mean, (laughs) some people just come with additional bells and whistles, don't they? And Shirley Ballas is one of those people, although, as as you drew out of her in the conversation, she is not without her... Well, how would you describe it? Um, she's she's quite... There are, there are aspects of her life that she's, like a lot of women and some men, she's very insecure about. Yeah. yeah. But do you know what I really admire her for is uh, her ability to talk about it because mm. actually, you know, she could be doing the everything's worked out for me routine uh, if she wanted to. She's had a spectacular career in dance. She's won all the trophies. Uh, she's been married several times. She's uh, got a lovely family of her own, uh, and she looks amazing. Uh, so she could be going, well, ka-ching, you know, I've won the lottery of life. But actually, in, in every single realm of her life, all of those things have come at a bit of a cost, I think. And, well, and one of the most revealing things, and we shouldn't give away too much of the interview, but when she talks about how she feels about how she looks, I find that uh, amazing and I admire her for being able to talk about it so openly because she is not as positive about her appearance as somebody who looks like her should be. No, and it's also very interesting that I think she slightly underplays the pressure she is under as a prominent woman on very popular television. And of course we know that there's a now a court case involving another very prominent uh, female television presenter. This is terrible. You know, this is there shouldn't be this sort of hideous attention around people who've simply got to the top of a very competitive profession. And what Shirley has to put up with in terms of the abuse she was getting, I mean, for God's sake, people, she's judging a dance show. Yeah. Get a grip. She's doing exactly what she's been asked oh. to do. 
and yeah. she's doing it really well. And actually, she's not doing it with kind of, uh, you know, nastiness or venom or being malicious or whatever. She's doing it really uh, thoughtfully and carefully. So, yeah. I, I, I'm just appalled that she is just uh, supposed to just deal with the kind of crap that she was getting. Mm. Anyway, uh, she now employs somebody else to handle her social media for yeah, her. Yeah, very nice young man called Harry. Good yes. on him. I love it when you're appalled. I am. Yes, you're always I in your most robust form when you're appalled. being appalled. Yes. <laughs> right, uh, Jane and Fee at Times.radio. We've got to be honest because we're still sitting in this bookshop. <laughs> it's quite strange. Just feel a bit weird. And there were lots and lots of straggly groups of school children earlier. And of course, they are they're a little rumbustuous and let loose in a bookshop. They were very careful to ignore us completely. Well, of course I thought. you would. Well, well you two would. Middle-aged women sitting there looking like they're trying to land a plane. <laughs> To, yeah, I think to Albidies over there with a couple of computers. You're going to walk on past pretty quickly. Yeah. And they did. But there were a couple of curious onlookers who, who hung around a bit. And we've also met some lovely people, including some people, Fee, who did the really decent thing and only went and bought our paperback. Did, Still on sale, everybody. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Christmas is coming. And what could be nicer than a cop, a fresh cop? Fresh-ish copy of Did I Say That Out Loud? Yeah. Underrated. Uh, can we mention Chris, who is Veronica's friend, because we bumped into Veronica at the train station, yeah. actually, uh, and uh, she had already failed to meet Chris. <laughs> they're, they're very, very long-standing friends, know each other from school, but she'd gone out the wrong exit of Cheltenham train station, yeah. uh, and it turns out we had too. Uh, so we had a very nice chat with her, but she did say that Chris would be really, really miffed that that oh. had happened. Uh, but we did wave at Chris as, as she walked past there, but then there you go, Chris. You've got the very special mention in the podcast, not Veronica. Uh, but y they both seem like particularly lovely women. Uh, and Veronica's got two adult children who are now living abroad. I mean, very abroad as well, Jane. Very abroad. Very abroad, yes. Right. I think that's that's quite a thing, actually, and maybe we'll talk about that in future podcasts. Uh, Juliet says, I'm a long-time listener, second-time emailer. Uh, I live close to Cheltenham, but I can't make it to see you this week as I'm working. Please come back again next year. Well, God willing, we will be, and I will definitely come then. I cannot recommend... A book, oh no, is it a There's place? A, no, it's the a, artisan it's a cafe. Baker. The artisan baker enough. It also overlooks a lovely park. I was there two days ago. Cakes, coffee and sandwiches, all amazing. Mm. Okay, well, that sounds like it's a, a recommendation we should pay attention to. What do you fancy eating tonight? So we're on what is known in the trade as an OB, an outside broadcast. Mm. And if you imagine that we've got our own Winnebago or somebody comes in and offers us a menu and asks us what we'd like for dinner, that's not how it goes. So we've got to find somewhere to eat tonight and there'll be you, me and Rosie because mm. Kate's gone off with her mum. It's mm. pretty selfish. I think it's very selfish. I don't know what Simon's doing. But he might want to come along. He might not. Uh, he hasn't. He's, he's keeping his face as. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think he wants. He's to engineering. Come. He, no. he doesn't want to come. No. Okay. Fair but, enough. But we, we understand. I'm sure there's some football on. Don't worry about it. Um, oh, that's terribly pejorative. I'm sorry. Yes. Well, it could be me actually staying in to watch the football. Well, it would. Um, what would I like? I basically don't care, but I'm thinking carbs. Obviously, I hardly eat any carbs, but I wouldn't mind a pizza. Also, I'm in that okay. pre... You, you, know, you say you don't care, <laughs> but actually, if we got it wrong and it was something that you didn't like, yes. Rosie and I would really pay Well, for I wouldn't it. throw my telly out of my hotel room. I'm in that stage no, of... but you'd make your face. I want to I want to see my hotel room. Do I know. It's always a bit of a tingle, isn't there, when you... I mean, haven't, you haven't even been to the hotel. Have we? No, not and on I this trip. I no. want to know whether there are any freebies. I want to know whether I've got a bath or a shower. I want to know whether I've got um, tea making facilities for the morning. I'm just a gog. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I also want to know which way the bed's facing. All of that. And can I open my window? And if I can't, 
then there will be trouble. Well, it's a very, it's it's a, um, it's not a modern hotel. What? So I, no, so I think we might be all right. Oh, okay, yes, so there'll be sash windows. Yeah, I very okay. much hope so. Because but do you know what I mean about the bed, Jane? Because sometimes when I walk into a hotel room, it's just the bed is facing the wrong way. Mm. And, it's, and it's not that it has to face the window or some kind of feng shui or anything like that. No. It's just it's going the wrong, I can't sleep the wrong way. It's like going backwards on a train. I can't do well, it. I'm not swapping. Oh. I think it's time to bring in Shirley Ballas. I really do. And what was great about Shirley was that she arrived in the most wonderful emerald green trouser suit, which I absolutely loved, and a white T-shirt. And actually, if you're ever wondering, as a, a slightly older woman, what to wear for something, I think Shirley Ballas's outfit when she arrived today is a great guide. So a really nice emerald green bright trouser suit with a very simple round neck white t-shirt what are you wearing no she looked brilliant and i wish i could dress more like that well just go and buy a suit with a white t-shirt all right uh, but you're right she did look absolutely <laughs> fell a bit flat i was only trying i was picking up shirley ballas and you're pop at me there anyway that she then changed to go on stage didn't she she did yeah but i thought her on stage outfit was nicer no i preferred the first one oh. if i wanted anyway let's not fall out with shirley oh, oh. she yeah fee's got emerald green trousers on that will be it yeah god maybe she did that's so thoughtful isn't it oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. okay right. <laughs> uh so uh, Shirley Ballas, can I just tell you a couple of things uh, about her, which might be relevant, actually, and we just need to set the scene. Uh, she is a seven times US Latin American champion, three times British Open to the World champion, which we didn't really know what that meant, but she comes to explain it, and multiple British national champion. Uh, and we know her, obviously, now as the wise judge on Strictly Come Dancing. She has added to that list of achievements a new novel. It's a thriller. It's kind of crime fiction, and it's set in the world of dance. Uh, she invites the reader of Murder on the Dance Floor to immerse themselves in the ballroom and Latin world. And we join the cast of the novel at the Whitby Pavilion, which is, to quote, saturated with hopes, dreams and hearts, pumping with venom, tensions every bit as taut as the dancers, sequin brass straps. It's a rip-roaring read, uh, which does tell the dark side of the dream. So that's drugs, sexual predators, not an awful lot of food, strained relationships, scaffolders from Liverpool and the kind of ambition that can kill. So we started by asking Shirley if she'd always wanted to get all of that down on paper. I know everybody here, you always see the glitz and the glamour, that side of Strictly, and you know, perhaps you're also dancers and you see the glitz and the glory of everything that goes on. But behind the scenes, in my experience, my personal experience over 50 years, it's rather more sinister. So there is another side to ballroom dancing. And when I wrote my autobiography, if many people read that behind the sequins, there was so many stories that I couldn't write or that was a question mark. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, no, you can't do that. So it was no, 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 no. And then after I did my autobiography and I was chatting to my mum, I said, wouldn't it be great to be able to put some of these stories in a, in a fiction book, you know, like a murder on the dance floor? So mum and I were just sitting in the kitchen, setting the scene, you know, my mum was remembering stories and I was remembering stories. And then, of course, Harper Collins reached out and I thought this would be a great time to let people know what goes on behind the scenes. So it's, uh, it is quite sinister. There are joyful parts, you know. It's sex, lies, intrigue, backstabbing, bed hopping, manipulation, bullying. It's all those things. And ballroom dancing. It all goes, you've got the ballroom dancing, and then you've got this side. So it's all a rather interesting read. I tried to pick some really great characters. 
what, what I want the audience, and I want you all to Instagram me, by the way, please. Did I take part in it? Did I witness it? Which parts are true, which parts are fiction? So this book, like I say, it's a fiction novel, but I have 50 years of experience, so I'm going to pull on those 50 years of experiences. And not all the experiences were great. So. so tell us a little bit more about some of the main characters in the book. And of course, we've got to start with Lily. I play Lily, so I am Lily. And uh, Lily is a person that is always trying to strive forward to do her best, a lot for other people. I love it when I, you know, even in Strictly, some of the past dancers that have been on that you've started with them when they're children and you see them grow. That, that's my role. I love to see people do well. And then there's a lovely character in there called Susie Cooper. She was my student, but bullied out of the industry, um, different things about her weight. Anyway, she got out of the industry and she went on to be a detective so a part of the way through the book, we team back up again because Oksana Bondarenko. <laughs> Don't you just love that name? Let me tell you, Oksana Bondarenko was doing a very, very passionate tango. And just as she's getting into the throes of it with Jack, she drops dead on the floor, lights out, over. Now, so Susie and Lily decide, okay, who could have possibly murdered this wonderful Oksana Bondarenko. So that's where it all starts. And um, I think it's quite interesting, other than murder, although we have had one murder in our industry, but other than murder, you know, you have to just decide for yourself. Was I part of it? Did I witness it? Or is it fiction? Some of the names in the book are fantastic. There's a character called Topaz Pringle. <laughs> I rather... I now, I've got my notes here, you know, because I have CRS, can't remember, shimming, <laughs> shimming. Okay. So, yes, we've got Topaz, and she is the daughter of Scouser Sam. She's very entitled, very privileged, and we have a lot of that in our industry. So, when I started out with a single mother on a housing estate, you know, my mother told me nothing in life is for free. Every single thing you ever do in your life, you must earn. Don't expect handouts. Don't expect people to be there for you. And I lived my life by that. But in our industry, it's changed times. And there's lots of people who feel like they should get results. And why can't they get results even when they're only of average talent? And that's not just in my industry. It's in every industry. You know, people complain, but actually the talent is mediocre, but they think their talent is great. So she's an entitled person, and unfortunately, she will also die. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, there are, as you've already alluded to, uh, <laughs> some, some rather uh, unpleasant men on the scene in your book. Mm. And certainly men who are using their positions of power and influence to be a little bit exploitative and then some. And Lily says quite early on in the book that she hadn't been given so much as a whisper of a say as regards her career or her body. Men did that, but she was the boss of her own vagina now. You're allowed to say that on the radio in the afternoon? Well, it's a medical term, so yes. <laughs> um, but I wonder, in all seriousness, uh, whether that is a feeling that you have had in your time and perhaps when you were a much younger woman. Well, I'll take it in the fiction part. Yes. So, again, you will have to guess. I have a character in there called Marmaduke, who's a bully who is the president of the GDC, which is the Dance Council. 
and he tends to, you know, be the boss and lords it over, you know, as many of you have read before in my industry. At one point, I was so bullied that I was actually going to get out of my industry, and I chatted with my son, and there was people stopping my work, and this, that, and the other, and then I must have done something right because then Strictly landed at age 57. So just when I'm moving out of the industry, this landed and it, and it gave me this lovely platform. But the, there was a lot of bullying, true life bullying. You read it in my autobiography as well. So yes, he's not such the nicest character, Marmaduke. Don't forget that name. Yes, he's kind of... a. Uh, not the nicest guy in town. He's not, is he, actually, Shirley? No. He's really not. But do you think, and we should talk much more about your early years and about your childhood, uh, which I think anybody who has read about would simply congratulate you on having got through it and decided to be so purposeful with your life? Because, actually, uh, your father seemed to be slightly addicted to maybe other things and getting married again and having more children. And, and I get the sense that there was a bit of you not feeling like you fitted into something throughout quite a bit of your childhood, well, which my, can have a long-standing effect in adult life. Well, my dad left when I was two, so I don't really didn't have much to do with it. My mother was the first wife, by the way. He had four after that and more children. But my mother used to say, I was the first. So I don't, didn't overly know him well, even though, you know, some little time I spent with him later on in his life, it was pleasant. But we didn't know each other, you know, so... I suppose uh, my mum was the, like the dad. We lived on the housing estate. She was the mum. She was the friend. She lives with me today, and I love it. Um, she's just a very, very special person who taught me, you know, about work ethic and all things that go with that. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, you know. And somebody said to my mum, you're actually shouldn't be spending all that money on that child. She's never going to get off the housing estate. She'll never amount to anything. And anyone who read the autobiography, there's one line in it that she wrote, I guess I backed the right horse. So, you know, she had four jobs to keep me going, you know. She wanted to see me do well. Um, my dad didn't have anything really to do with that. My brother, before he passed, was a big cheerleader for me. Uh, yeah, and it was, it was a difficult industry. But when you're growing in an industry like that, to be honest, you don't really know it's a difficult industry because you're seven and you're growing and, and things are going on. And back then, you know, what's acceptable back then is certainly not acceptable today. So I go back and I look at those times and I think, you know, my younger self, if I'd have had a voice then, you would have spoken up. But uh, it's passed and, and it's a learning experience and uh, I just keep moving forward. And is it just too naive and kind of, uh, you know, psychologically blunt to think that actually uh, dance takes the place of a wider family in lots of people's lives? So actually, if you do come from somewhere where your dad's left and all of that, the world of dance can wrap you up in something? Well, I believe in fate, I do, you know, that church hall that day here in the music, Moon River, and the wheels cha-cha, that I know what those dances are now, but as a young girl, I, I headed towards this door, and I peeped through the window, and I could see these people moving, and then the, I asked the gentleman, you have children's classes? Yes, we start on Saturday. So off I went to this children's class, but I wouldn't have known anything about anything else. I was doing CPR, which I wasn't doing well on the dummy, and the next thing I know, I'm listening to music that just embodied my whole being and went home to my mum and said, we haven't got a lot of money, but if I can do that, I think that is what I really want to do. And the only time I ever had off from seven till 63 
was the time I had my son, maybe six weeks when he was born. Other than that, I've always danced, I've always listened to music, and I just think it was my calling. Mm. So I can't say that anything influenced that. I wouldn't say I had any... I'm raised by a single mother, that's all I knew, except for the kids at school. You haven't got a dad, you're on welfare, you know, all that. My brother took badly. I thought it was funny. Got free dinners, you know. Lou doesn't love a free dinner. So, um, yeah, I didn't know any different, really. It's only now that I'm older and I actually look back on my life, I can see this, I can see that. This wasn't, shouldn't have happened, that shouldn't have happened. Maybe I should have taken a different course, you know. Maybe getting married twice and engaged once was... uh, Maybe I was searching for something to, to, to love me, you know what I'm saying? So, so Jane and I really want to talk about Corky. Uh, Corquito. <laughs> Corky. So, say it again, please. Corquito. His name is Mark Alexander Ballas. That's the same name as my son. Yeah. But his dad, there's five children in that family. His dad invented the weed eater. When you do the weed eater, the strimmer, I married into that family. And uh, they nicknamed him Corky. So, and there's Bucky and there's Mika and Nini. They all have nicknames. These people are Americans. <laughs> yes, Americans. Yeah. Just in case anyone is, yeah. We are in Cheltenham. But I still, <laughs> I still call him Gorgito. So that's what I call him. Jane and I on our podcast uh, have discussed the fact that Corky Ballas is probably one of the best names that a man could ever have. I think so. <laughs> it's, just a wonder, it's just a wonderful name. It's right up there. And just the detail of the fact that his family made their money in lawn trimming. I mean, uh, there's something about it, Shirley, isn't it? Isn't there? Isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, what were the lawns like at his family house? Oh, well, they lived it obviously because he'd done very well. You know, yeah. they had lots of trees, and he did it from a popcorn can. If anybody looks up George Charles Ballas Senior, uh, he invented that and the strimmer and the blowers that you do your we- you're blowing leaves on. So that whole family, you know, owned that company. Mm. Uh, tell us a little bit about your earlier life when you were winning all all of the championships. And by the way, what is... So the British Open to the World Championship, it just seems like... What, what does that actually mean that you did? <laughs> I just oh. can't pretend. Sorry, we're having some problems with the iPad. You, you need, carry have on. you broken it? I dropped it and I've broken it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You carry on. The show must go on. No-one's noticed a thing. Don't worry. <laughs> You and technology. I know, no, I know. I'll tell you what, while we're doing tech spec, that clock hasn't gone on, either. No, I know. And the clock hasn't, and we've still got 55 yeah. minutes, according yeah, to that Yeah, according clock. to that. And, so we'll and just I, keep going. Yeah, I think we could do that, so we'll just carry on, <laughs> but someone might want to change that too. Look, an assistant has come to help, Jane. <laughs> Where were we? Anyway, we're about your triumphs. three major championships yes. in the world, okay. and uh, England is the hub of ballroom dancing. So we just were at the Royal Albert Hall last week. 5,000 people were there. Every country was involved. It started with five or 600 couples, and it eventually gets down to the last six at the Royal Albert Hall. That's always held in October. We have the United Kingdom Championships held at the Big Centre in January. That's a global event. And then we have the British Open to the World Championships, which is held at the Winter Gardens in Blackpool and the Tower for the Juniors and Juveniles. So they are the three big calendars Uh, championships that nobody in the world wants to miss. There's lots of other championships, but they are the ones that you don't want to miss. And those are the ones that you want to target and be able to be part of. So in 1983, I won the British Open to the world as the youngest female to ever do that, uh, with Sammy Stopford, my first husband. And then I had this illicit affair and ran off with Corquito Ballas, all the way to the US, <laughs> thinking I'm going to give up my life, I don't need to dance, you know, I'll be blowing leads and strimming. <laughs> I don't need a bit of the old cha-cha-cha, who needs that? 
And after three months, I was bored stupid. So I called my ex-husband and said, can I come home? I, I've made a mistake. I really want to dance. He basically told me to piss up. And he said, you made your bed. You're going to be a wallflower. You'll be nothing but a wallflower. That's all you were. That's all you'll ever be. And, uh, and there you go. So I thought to myself, well, I have to dance. Corky was a chef. He used to cut his weeds and he was a chef. So I taught him to dance from scratch. Came back in 84 when Sammy was second with his new partner. And I made... 500th place. Yes. <laughs> Didn't get a recall. I had to stand on the edge of the floor and watch him win. And that was enough for me. I thought, okay, I'm going to dedicate my life, my soul, to teaching Corquito to dance. Hardest student I ever taught my entire life. Never quite got it. But in 1995, many years later, we came back. We were first and Sammy was second. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> And then won it again in 96. So it was quite a story. I, I talk about that in my autobiography. But when somebody puts you down and all your life, you know, my mum's always said, for my mum, life was like swimming upstream. So, and I kind of felt that a little bit myself, but we just kept swimming. We just kept swimming. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. So. The winning, though, must become incredibly uh, addictive and pressurised. You know, once you've won something, you've then got the challenge of just maintaining that, haven't you? Well, for me, when I won in 1983, I was probably in the most miserable part of my life because I'd gotten married at 17 or 18 and no teenage years. I, at the time, didn't realise I just wanted to dance, I was on a bore, blah, 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 blah. And then I didn't seem to have any downtime. We never had a holiday. We never went anywhere. We never had a date night. You know, teacher told us to get married, so we did. Um, and then I get with Corky, this handsome, you know, Gorguito you know, with his weed trimming kit. And I thought, that didn't sound right, did it? But never mind. Um, yeah, so we had, I had this most marvellous time with him for three months. I think all I needed was a holiday. And then I ended up, you know, I said to my mum, I really want to come home. She said, you made your bed, girlfriend, you better lie in it. So that was a real wake-up call. And then, of course, you know, not many years after we'd been together, maybe 18 months, I got pregnant. That was unheard of in the dance industry. So then I not only had a new husband who I had to teach, and then I had a little baby that travelled all over the world with me, but I had a determination. When somebody calls you a wallflower, or you're low life, or I've been called sewer rat, or, you know, just different names throughout my life that I've been called, I think for me, it just made me a stronger character. So I look back and I think to myself, you know, yeah, I did okay. Mm. And I'm still here to tell the when, tale. When you say pregnancy was unheard of, no dancers had babies back then. They were only ever focused on their dancing. So, you know, it, he was a lovely surprise, you know, and I, when we got pregnant and sat in the doctor's office and the doctor said, we don't have a bladder infection, my dear. And I thought, oh, thank goodness for that. You know, I didn't want one of them. He said, but you are pregnant. I said, I can't be. That's absolutely not possible. And he said, well, you are. Take it from me. You are. So it was a huge shock. It took me several weeks to get my head around that. But... Uh, it is what it is, and life has a way of throwing curveballs, and you just have to try to find the lane to get back in the lane again. And so, uh, when you say, I mean, I'm still puzzled about, so clearly it's a very highly charged, let's be honest, very sexual environment. So pregnancies happened, but they just weren't, I mean, women just had to have abortions. Well, that part I don't know. No, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that I the pressure was such I can't for anybody that, else with that, but no. uh, I know that... I got pregnant at 25 and that was young. And I, I remember calling my mother. Hey, mum, she goes, how are you doing? Because we lived in America, Texas, you know, where they have the big hats and the big boots. And I said, hi, oh, 
oh, it's nice to hear from you, darling. How's it going? I went, I'm pregnant. And the first thing she says, oh my God, you're not. She said, you're just getting on your feet. You're just finding your way. We would just become the US champions. Mm. And uh, I think she was completely shocked, but uh, she went on to raise my son from 18 months old till he was 21. And uh, yeah, she did a grand job. And he can dance. And he can dance and he can sing. And uh, he... Um, I think I can share this story, I think. It's well, not out, but I can share it, Shirley. I think I can share it. No, so I'm worried. No, when no, I was no. on Strictly last year and Mark was on Dancing with the Stars on the other side, the two shows run parallel. And he won that show with Charlie D'Amelio at the same time I was doing Strictly. But he'd waited a long time. He's 37 now. They'd waited a long time for their Bambino. And unfortunately, during the process of their, his show, uh, she lost her baby. Oh. So it was very, very difficult. I didn't put it out because obviously it's their business, but he's just put out a new song called Rainbow for anybody who has any loss. And he talks a little bit about that. And the song is just absolutely beautiful. But that was hard. I couldn't leave. I couldn't go over there to help. You know, he was on Dancing with the Stars. She had to go into hospital. So it was all very difficult. But um, I'm very sad. I'm very sad. Anyway, 37, 36 now. And I will be a glamour in two weeks. Oh. I'm lovely. very excited about that. So that's a new journey for me. You know, I was quite a strict mum. You know, I had him with his music and Italia Conti. He was raised here till he was 21. Um, yeah, so I'm really thrilled for them. Unfortunately, they both got COVID this week. So BC's had COVID and Mark's had COVID, but the doctor said the baby will be fine. So, you know, it's just... There's always something, isn't it? Yeah. Just when you think everything's sort of like... You daren't say when you wake up in the morning, gosh, that's, everything's going so well in my life. Because you wake up the next morning and then something happens. That's always happened to me. So when people say to me, how are you doing? I say, fair and partly cloudy. <laughs> I never go full on with, yeah, it's great, I'm doing well or whatever. Because I know that t tomorrow can be a, a different story. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our big guest today is Shirley Ballas, head judge on Strictly, multiple British champion dancer and now novelist. We asked her about her role on the programme and what it's like giving feedback that doesn't always make her popular with the audience at home. I think fun, firm and feisty. I think yeah. my, job, uh, my job is always to deliver the message. I've had to learn to do this. To, in my industry, for example, let's say you have your private lesson, you're trying to win the international. I might say to you, that footwork is not quite good enough. And on the TV, I might say, now that footwork's not quite good enough. You know, so, so you're learning because they're only on for three months, they're probably never going to put their shoes on again. But mm. in order to make that final, they've got to be able to stand on their feet. They've got to be able to have a little bit of technique, just basic, nothing fancy, nothing like what I'm used to. But they do, I know they need something underneath their body to move forward. So I try to deliver that message. And maybe I get some negativity and some trollings a lot better this year because I have a, a new social media man, Harry's here today, uh, going through all my social media. So, you know, no death threats at the moment. We're only on week three. I mean, you say that lightly. It's absurd it's, it, well, it, to have to worry I wasn't about. well last year because of it all. It's yes, horrendous. As we all know, it was horrendous. But like I said, I took strides this year to bring somebody on board to filter and to help me with all that side of TV. So... 
it's been, it's been much better. I've actually really loved it. But I do try to be fair. And at the end of the day, um, maybe what people don't understand is that show cannot run one second over. So generally, you get 20 seconds to say your piece. But let's say, for example, it goes to my darling Anton, who I've known for 35 years, and he decides to write his autobiography <laughs> while he's telling his thing. I now have four seconds or five seconds. <laughs> so you have to be really on the board and shorten everything that you're going to say. That's why fabulous, amazing, uh, that's bringing us all back on time, or not good today, but if we can and everybody has equal time, we can... In 20 seconds, how can I teach you really to dance in 20 seconds? But I can give you some bullet points. Does Anton go on a little bit too much? I sometimes... No. Don't, oh, I love my Anton. And Fair I enough. loved going on tour with him, you know, even if he is stealing my knickers out my bedroom. He was fascinated because I get big girl knickers from Marks and Spencer's. He was fascinated with that. So he took a pair, put it in his top pocket and then held them for the crowd. So I, I love him. I love his sense of humour. Uh, like I say, we've known each other over 35 years. And I, I just want to say on his behalf, he's no different now than he was 35 to 40 years ago when he first walked in my studio. No different. He is the same charming gentleman. An actual fact on the front of my book, he says, I love this book. I'm quite convinced I've danced with Lily Richmond. And if anyone can solve a crime, I know she can. Anton Beck. <laughs> yeah. So when he read it, he was an all saucy girl. But uh, yeah, that's, we're very good friends. Uh, can we talk, obviously bearing in mind that this is going out at kind of school run time, about some of the more saucy bits in the book, Shirley? Well, because, do you know what, there's one, there's one little bit in particular. And obviously, uh, when you read the book, all the way through, you're thinking... Exactly as you've said, uh, is this fiction or is this something that's been witnessed by the great Shirley Ballas? And there's, uh, witnessed or did I take part in it? Well, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a, a little bit of um, kind of exotic sexual activity involving knots and ropes and things. Uh, I mean, you can just give me a, <laughs> a, a, a... I don't know what you'd like to say about that, actually. Well, uh, uh, well it was hoisted up. Well, we shouldn't say I, should I? <laughs> Uh, the person was hoisted up and whipped gently and rather eloquently across the bottom. And uh, yes, there are some scenes like there, some nipple twisting and different things like that. I'm not okay, sure let's get that right. I suppose a, a, a relevant question, and I have absolutely, you know, no desire to embarrass you at all, uh, is just about getting older in the public eye and still retaining uh, your uh, positivity about yourself, about your image, about your body, about what you choose to be and what you choose to do with it. And I admire you enormously for that, actually. Well, that's been a struggle because body positivity is never... Uh, I've struggled with that, as you'll read in here, you know, people that take diet pills and people that say you have to be a certain way. I remember one time after I'd had the baby, you know, maybe six or eight months after... One professional said to me, you've got jiggly legs. We don't want to see anything that jiggles on your body. Wear a pair of fishnets. And it was said to me like that. And I'm thinking, I just had a baby. And then I wore a dress and I must have had some stretch marks slightly on the back. And somebody, another teacher came home and says, it's making me physically sick to see your stretch marks. Cover yourself up. You know, so all your life you get these remarks. And those kind, they stick with you. So I would say from the beginning of time, let's say from about 15 all the way up to today, which I still struggle with, and that is uh, body positivity. So but what I am learning is that, that each person is their own and each person needs to do for them what they feel comfortable doing, you know. So I'm, I was one of those fad dieters 
you know, I remember going on a grapefruit diet that Corquito used to make. He got the pulp, you know, the pulp of the grapefruit, and I got the watery bit, so he was a bit more full than me. So there was all sorts of things for four or five days. It would just be that, you know, just to try to get you in full-on shape to, to make sure there wasn't a wrinkle or something, you know. That, and I think years and years and years and years, it still plays on my mind. You know, I, I'm not going to lie, I'll sit down, um, even with Harry or my mum, and I'll go, mm, now how many calories has that got in? Or we went to Pride of Britain yesterday, Harry and I hadn't eaten, we're starving, would you like a piece of bread? And I was, no, thank you. I was starving, but I didn't eat it. But that's years and years and years of people telling you you're not good enough, I suppose. So do you worry about uh, being on a judging panel where in front of you, I mean, to be honest, sometimes uh, the contestants can represent more diverse body shapes, but actually the dancers still don't. I mean, they are lithe, they are beautiful, they are muscly, but they are thin. Not all dancers are thin. Not all of them that we've had on the show. We've had some really curvy ladies on the show. And I've learned a lot from um, different people that were on the show throughout our time. Uh, and confidence. So it's growing on growing. I, I look at these lovely bodies and I'm really, really happy for them. But most women, I think, look in the mirror and never sometimes feel like they're good enough at some part in their life. I don't... I, the people I talk to, you know, they have, they look and they think, oh, am I good enough? Or you're married and then you hit 50 and 60 and then, you know, somehow men seem to keep the silhouette. I talk about personal friends of mine, they keep the silhouette, the ladies start because we've had babies and our figures start to change shape and, and it bothers them. And I'm, I'm really, really trying to be much better, more positive towards people. You are who you are. And if you're comfortable in your own skin, so be it. And, and good for you, you know what I'm saying? I'm working on that. That's ongoing for me. Even, I think I will go to my grave still worrying about, oh, how does that look? Or give me a pair of those Spanx. I mean, I have to wear those Spanx. They strangulate every part of my body. So when you see me going, <laughs> you know it's the Spanx. <laughs> but based on what you know of the industry, which, by the way, brings huge happiness to those of us yeah. who sit at home on our sofas, glass of Prosecco, bag of nuts, in my case, Saturday night. Um, it brings such happiness to so many millions of people and I think played a huge part during COVID, actually, how they kept that series going during the pandemic. I'm forever grateful because it was a proper little burst of sunshine in a really miserable existence for many people. Well, we didn't think that that was going to happen. You know, we had like arrows going everywhere all over the studio. We were nervous somebody was going to get sick. But they managed, as they always do, the BBC, and, and they wanted to put something on for the general public, that baubles, bangles and beads, that shiny yeah. evening of sequins, so that everybody could totally enjoy the winter months. So it was miraculous. It, it was, actually. It really yeah. was. And I think everyone involved deserves credit for that yeah, series. It sure. brought me huge happiness, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, but based on what you know of how terrible... Some women, not just women, I'm sure, but how terribly badly some of the dancers are treated. Would you have let your daughter become a professional dancer if you'd had one? Well, my son was in the industry. But that's different. I think we know, don't we, that that's probably different. Uh, well, I had Julianne at the same time. She lived with me for she eight or nine years. She was the daughter of she yeah. And Derek, they, they lived with me for a long time, all went on to be successful. And I was very protective of Julianne, you know, so um, I was always there to guide, so I think if the parent... My mother, unfortunately, wasn't able to be with me because she had to work. Mm. So a lot of the travelling, you know, through the night I did on my own, I relied on lifts from different people. And I think back then you were more trusting, but going into anything mm. today, anything, I'm not just saying ballroom dancing, no. anything, I would want to think that my grandson or granddaughter eventually 
would, you know, be taken care of, that the, the parents would be there all the time to, well, as much as they can, or trusted people to be with them. I think any industry has to be monitored. But I've, I've just actually, by coincidence, John Waite is on our programme a little bit later okay. in the week, and I've just read his book, which is called Dancing on Eggshells. And he writes very poignantly about his wonderful time on Strictly. You know, he was partnered with Johannes, who's Fantastic. hugely popular, and that was a really significant moment in the history of the show. But his bulimia was raging throughout his time on Strictly. And I just... That doesn't seem... I mean, based on what you've been so honest as well about how you feel... Um, there is a contrast between all the glitz and glamour of what we, the viewers, see and the price that seems to be paid by some of the people who are taking part. And that's what I address in the fiction book, you know. Obviously, it's fiction. Or is it? So I address some of these issues, you know, and, um, yeah, people have anorexia, people have bulimia, people look in the mirror and don't see anything beautiful about themselves or they avoid mirrors or things like that. I've talked to many women, uh, lots of people over the years, which has actually helped me as well, um, I just think it's ongoing, but I don't think it's just in the world of ballroom dancing. I think it's in ballet. I think it's in other other forms of dance or maybe other situations, maybe jockeys, this one. It's got to be a certain weight to do a certain thing. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's in everything. I don't think it's just ballroom dancing. But there is a duty of care to the people who take part in shows like Strictly. So everybody is looked after behind the scenes. You couldn't get more looked after behind the scenes. I know when I was being trolled last year, I was getting phone calls every other day. You need some counselling, you need some help. We have somebody who would take over your social media. The, the due care and due diligence of the BBC is outstanding. And I only wish that we'd have had that in my industry years ago. It has got much better now. The safeguarding rules are much more in place now. I address that also. It's very important for me that, you know, cameras in studios now when young ones are coming in and just keeping it so it's, people feel safe. That's the most important thing. Yeah. If you couldn't have been a dancer, what would you have been? An actress. I, I would have, you know, my son went to the Italia Conti and uh, he got the lead role in Jersey Boys on, on uh, Broadway and Charlie Price and Kinky Boots and I used to go and watch him. I felt he was just singing for me. And I thought, oh, how lovely would it be to get up there on stage and just really see what that's like, you know, because my dancing, I've performed in front of hundreds of thousands of people, but to just be up on stage. But I did get that opportunity in Panto. You know, if I could have ever remembered the lines, I think I would have been actually <laughs> quite good actress. So there's always lots of lines. There's other things that come with it, you know. But I think an actress would have been great for me. Can I just ask you one more thing about the trolling? So you've got lovely Harry who's here today. Uh, so if something horrible came through, um, you know, this week from uh, Strictly on Saturday, do you, do you now not see it? Does he filter it for you or is, does he re reply to people? And if he does, what do they then do well harry takes the phone i'm not even allowed my phone till he's absolutely gone through everything and obviously now when we go into week four all the way on it gets a little bit tougher because good people are going out and it doesn't matter who it is it will always be somebody's favorite so i apologize in advance for anyone we have to stay home but he filters he goes through if he thinks it's kind of a funny comment or a wonderful comment we share that together but as for constantly me getting on it and think, oh my gosh, why? Oh, I've sent the right person home. Why, why, why is this person disagreeing with me? I don't have any of that anymore. So I think uh, I love people, you know, and there's always that you want people to really know that you're doing the best job you can for these wonderful celebrities that signed up for Strictly. And when they come on and they, 
I love controversy. I love it if somebody comes on like there's one chap who says, well, Shirley, you looked adorable today, but I did not agree with your 10. I did not agree with this. And then, oh, okay, then, well, you know, it goes a bit back and forward and, and it's lovely. It's when the over-the-top messages come in where they want to slice you up or follow you around or bury you in the yard or, you know, have a coffin and a thing with your face on it and all that kind of thing. That to me is strange, you know. I, I couldn't do that even if I didn't care for somebody, you know what I mean? So, and there's this, odd. But there is this notion, isn't there, now, that somehow uh, because you have uh, excelled in your career, had a choice in what you do, that somehow you should be able to take that. It's kind of fair game. And I think it's always interesting to hear what the personal cost is to people having to read that kind of hate stuff. Because uh, you have been accused of a lot of things, actually, really unpleasant things. Well, I, I, I do take it, actually. I think I take it pretty good on the chin. I'm still here. I had a choice. I could have left. I didn't. I'm still sitting here because I love the job so much. Um, it always is a little bit throughout the series, you know, if I give a five, for example, you'll hear the boos in the audience. If Anton de Beck gives a five, he gets a clap. <laughs> I look at him, I'm like, and he goes, that's, that's, that's what, you know, I'm Anton. So um, it, it, it tends to be a little bit more. I'm Mopsy too, you know, if we give a lower score. Uh, I think I'm not the only one who gets that. You reference that there's terrible things, but I know Mopsy's also had it and Craig, who doesn't care to do social media and really doesn't care what you think about him at all. <laughs> and then Anton, who doesn't read it at all. But I'm not the only one. I've seen the messages that other people get, celebrities and all, not just me. So please don't think it's just me who's getting it. It goes no. across the board on the show. But we need to make clear, this is a Saturday night TV dance show. You sh none of you should be experiencing any of this. It's crazy. It's out of all I th proportion. I think, you know, to be fair to the, to the English audience, they've been watching it for 20 years. They get so invested. They sit with their families. They have the most amazing time. And I think a majority of people have a really good eye. You know, I get some messages and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you're spot on. So, they, you know, they're invested in it. And sometimes, like one gentleman, he wrote this awful message last year. I wasn't doing so good. So I reposted the message. Shouldn't have done that, but I did. And then he got bullied. So then him and I ended up having a chat and I said to him, well, well why did you post it? He said, because you sent my favourite person home and I just reacted. So he didn't think. Mm. He said, I'm sorry, I should have thought before I did it, but people don't do that. Yeah. When Mark, my son, was on Dancing with the Stars, he danced with a young lady and one guy, it was front page of the news, had thrown his television out of the second floor of, a, of an apartment <laughs> because he was so frustrated because, you know, somebody had gone home on that series. So it's not just our show, it's globally and all around the world, you know, have a big part to do with Dancing with the Stars and all those kids. I hear all those stories and it's, it's everywhere, it's, it's not just me. You know, I mean, somebody, how do we keep everybody on? Would I like to keep everybody on? Absolutely. Do I wish we could have a final of 15? Yes. But unfortunately, that's not the way the show goes. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a cheeky question about the celebrities? You know, every single year, um, the newspapers, they follow strictly avidly, you know, don't ever miss a chapter. But they always start the coverage by saying... This is the worst lineup of so called celebrities <laughs> we've ever, we've never heard of any of them. Uh, and then gradually, as, and sometimes I haven't heard of some of the people, but you follow them throughout the series and you become more aware of them. How many of them genuinely do you know of before you actually have to judge them dancing? Well, I can also go back to my, when I first got on the show, nobody had heard of me, but in my industry, you know, Big I name. was at the top of my industry, yeah. but nobody knew who I was. Um, 
people are in different sectors, aren't they, in the yeah. animal kingdom? Hamza, for example. I didn't know Hamza before he got on the show, mm. but once I read up and I read about his life and his story, I thought, wow, this is, this is a really interesting gentleman. And then he came out on the show and blew us all away, and we all fell in love with him, and then I was on tour with him. And the same with everybody. Everybody's got a story. You know, so I don't really know what people are expecting to see a full lineup of 15 people that we know every single person. How boring. You know, so we have people that we can grow with. I think the most beautiful part of this show is we grow with people. You know, so that's the part I like. And, you know, even last week when the young lady went out, you know, I gave her a snuggle, bunny cuddle. And I told her, I look forward to seeing the great things that you're going to do in your life. You did amazingly well. Be proud of yourself for signing up because it's not an easy show she, to sign up She actually up for. looked devastated, poor, poor girl. I mean, I did feel sorry for her. It clearly does really knock people, doesn't well, it? Well, I think that they work really, really hard. You know, like I said about Giovanni's partner, you know, she came out and did those beautiful splits. It took me 20 years to perfect them. She came out in three days and I thought, oh, they look better than mine. Um, People get invested in it. They don't want to go home. They want to no. stay with their family. Which reminds me of Angela Rippon, who is, lest we forget... Fangirling, fangirling. 78. I mean, this is unbelievable. 78, 79, I think, this week. That's right, yes, I did. Yes, 79. And um, is there any limit to her participation in terms of, of her ability to do some of the... I mean, this is from a position of ignorance, but to do some of the faster dances? Is it going to be hard? I mean, just honestly, would it be hard for anyone? And she's phenomenally fit... Would it be hard for anyone of that age to compete? Well, forget in... the age, because age has no bounds. Okay. There are younger people that struggle to keep up. We've right. got 20-odd-year-olds, 30-odd-years that can't go to the end of the jive. So she's still holding her own. Right now, she's done three dances. And uh, what I love about Kai is he takes a technique book and he creates routines that are simple but really readable for somebody like me, you know, that you have recognisable steps. He doesn't try to go over the top. He stays within the boundaries of what she can do. Mm -hmm. So as long as she's got a little bit of rhythm, some lovely footwork and hold her arm up and charm everybody. I mean, she's just absolutely charming. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to see. I mean, I, I can't predict. I've no crystal ball. But I don't think it's an age thing. I mean, she did extremely well last week in a quick step and beautiful the week before. So, and, and some people forget routine. She didn't forget a routine, as far as I can remember. Maybe a little hiccup in the quick step there in the corner, if I remember rightly. But genuinely, overall, generally, there, there are other younger people who make mistakes, forget routines, going the wrong way or this or that. So we'll see how she does. Sometimes when the contestants with their partners are waiting, uh, you know, to listen to the judges' comments, I really feel for them, Shirley, because some of them are so out of breath, aren't they? You just think, you just need to sit down. Are you going to make it? And then, and then there was someone, and I won't draw attention to it here, but there was someone, you could almost see them saying to their partner, oh, God, we've got to get up the stairs now. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, do, we do I sympathize. hear that. Yes, yeah. really sympathise. Well, well, it's exhausting. It is. It's a minute and 30 seconds to yeah. fast music that you've learned with Inside a Week. Could you imagine? You're going out in front of an audience of, let's say, 15 million people who you know are going to be sitting there and, and judging every little thing that you do. That's why I give them credit for signing up. You know, it is, it's exhausting for them. And Shirley Ballas's book, Murder on the Dance Floor, is available to pre-order now. Yeah, and I think Shirley delivered. And actually, it was like I'd forgotten how lovely it is to do one of those interviews with a packed auditorium of actual people. It's good fun, isn't it? It is good fun. Yeah, yeah. and I think um, people really enjoyed the energy that Shirley brought to that. Some people 
um, some writers, let's be honest, don't always know how to how to perform. Yeah, and, for, she, and yeah. she absolutely does. I'm with you on that. And, and it just immediately pleases the audience. And then everybody knows that we're all locked into the same thing. I mean, mm. basically, she gave us an hour's worth of The Shirley Show. Yeah, and, but that's, that's but amazing. But it's so that's comfortable, great. isn't it? Because yeah. you just think, right, we're off. Yeah. So whatever's going to happen, I'm going to enjoy it. Mm. I'm in kind of safe, entertaining hands. Uh, so yes, I really enjoyed meeting her. Actually, she, do you know what? She's she is still here signing books. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's about an hour after we finished talking to. It her. looks like she's talking to one of her younger admirers. I would estimate him to be about four. Oh, the lad in the yellow shirt. Well, he'll be locked in for life as yeah, well, won't he? He definitely will be. Um, thank you for listening. And tomorrow's guests include uh, Peter Brathwaite, the opera singer, and we'll also talk to the comedian Shaprat Sandy. So uh, tomorrow is shaping up to be excellent as well, and we'd love your company if you want to chip in with an email i know we can't go through all the emails while we're abroad in cheltenham but we'll be back at times towers on wednesday won't we so we, we can dig into them then so what would you wear tomorrow uh i'm oh. sorry i didn't mean to be rude about your your trouser suit admiration you've still got time to pop to a shop uh, i might go shopping tomorrow morning because we've already been told we're on light duties first thing and i think the some of the livelier youngsters are going swimming but i won't be doing that Right, uh, Jane and Fee at Times.Radio, have a very good night, or wherever it is where you are, and uh, join us tomorrow for more of this sort of thing. Goodbye. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.